Good morning. morning. It's good to see you all here this morning. I want to thank you for being with us. Uh, You uplift me as I look out over the the group here in the family and and see you come together. So thank you for being here. Thank you, Stephen, for for reading that scripture. I always feel a little guilty when I ask somebody to read just one verse. I feel like I ought to throw in three or four verses and have a few hard names, make it a little more challenging. We'll see if we can do something about that in the future. Today's lesson ask the question, who do you think you are? When I was a little boy, I'd visit my dad's family in a small town of southwest Oklahoma. We'd go every couple of years between dad's military rotations. Now, my father was an only child, and I was, for a while, an only grandchild, which meant I was spoiled rotten. I, I, I still suffer from that. Whenever I came to town, my Uncle Mac would take me downstairs to downtown to Levine's Main Fair. Now, Levine's was the place you went to get your clothing if you, if you were one of the local uh, farmers. So he would take me down there to get me a pair of cowboy boots. Now, those were good quality cowboy boots. And those boots and my cowboy hat and my six-shooter cap gun were very special to me. They became a part of who I was when I was in Hobart. Then one year I went to visit and my Uncle Mac came to the door and grinning pulled out a pair of moccasins. Nice Indian moccasins. Now as I look back at that moment, I have no doubt that Mac put a lot of care into getting those moccasins because he never skimped on a gift. They were probably pure buckskin and well and, and very expensive. Now was I thrilled with a gift that he was so pleased to give? No. I announced that I was a cowboy and cowboys wore boots. I'll never forget the sad look on his face as he took those moccasins back to the car. Now, I was very young at the time, and looking back, I'd like to believe that my reaction to that, to that offer, to that good gift, was the response of an unthinking and fairly spoiled child. I'd like to tell myself that I've grown beyond that, and that I don't respond that selfishly and unkindly to gifts that are offered with such love. But if I'm honest, if I'm truly honest, I have to admit that I continue to make that same mistake today with regard to my God. And you know what? It's for much the same reason. You see, I refused the moccasins because they did not fit neatly with who I thought I was or what I thought I needed. I did not reflect on the fact that the moccasins were probably more comfortable, more cool, and quieter to walk in than cowboy boots. I did not pause to consider the thought and the love that accompanied the giving of that gift. I was a cowboy, and that meant boots. In a much larger sense, I treat God's mercy and grace the same way. Because I think I've got a pretty good handle on things and have set my goals in life, I don't fully appreciate my need for the perfect gift he has offered me, the sacrifice of his son on the cross. Not only does that show disrespect for God, It robs me of the peace, the joy, and the hope that I might know if I really appreciated the perfect gift of God and accepted it freely. Now, this is not just my personal issue. The Bible offers plenty of examples where people were offered a divine gift but did not understand its value and refused it because of who they thought they were. It also offers examples of people who embraced the gift because of how they saw themselves. We're going to spend a few minutes this morning looking at some of those people, considering who they thought they were and how that influenced their response to God's gift. 
Let's start with the Pharisees. Now, if you ask a Pharisee, who are you? Who do you think you are? The answer would likely be, I am a son of Abraham who keeps, teaches, and safeguards the law of Moses. The short version would be, I am defined by what I do. That sense of identity automatically colored their interactions with Christ, who was bringing a new and better covenant to replace the law the Pharisees felt had been entrusted to their care. Now listen to a few of the interactions between Jesus and the Pharisees. I'm going to be, going to be reading a couple of uh, verses in Mark chapter 2, so I invite you to join me there. Actually, three in, in, in those early chapters of Mark, so if you go there now, you'll be close. Mark chapter 2, the first one is verses 16 and 17. Mark chapter 2, 16 and 17. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why is he eating with and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. They didn't get it. Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 27. And it happened he was, that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need, and he and his companions became hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests, and he also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. They didn't get it. Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them, the Pharisees, were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked, the, asked them, the Pharisees, Which is it lawful to do on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. He's done an amazing miracle in front of them, and all they can think about is, how are they going to get rid of this guy? For the Pharisees, Jesus was at first a would-be prophet that needed to be tested. When he passed their tests with words that challenged their understanding and an application of Moses' law, he became an apostate who had to be undermined before he could, quote, mislead the people. When he could not be undermined and challenged their right to be stewards of the law, he became a threat who had to be silenced. Who they thought they were prevented them from hearing Christ's words regarding who they ought to be. Let's talk a little about the rich young ruler. A less complex example is one that is equally revealing. It's Jesus' interaction with a young man in Mark 10. We know of him as the rich young ruler. The story is in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22, if you want to follow along. 
Mark 10, 17-22. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all of, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, unlike the Pharisees, this young man was sincerely interested and wanted to know about the path to eternal life that Jesus had to offer. But the desire to know was not enough. When Christ invited him to give up the wealth he had and pursue a treasure in heaven, the young man weighed the price and decided it was just too high, just too much. He went away sad because he understood that Christ offered something of great value, but he was not prepared to stop being the rich young ruler. Who he thought he was prevented him from accepting a gift that would have made him truly rich. Let's consider Ananias and Sapphira. Now, several years ago, those of you who are older may remember this, the comedian Billy Crystal had a character named Fernando on Saturday Night Live, right? And just, just to honor you, I will not do the accent. But Fernando did celebrity interviews with guests on, on the show, and his punchline was, it is much better to look good than to feel good. Now, the line was a poke at Hollywood's promotion of the idea that reputation is much more important than reality. Hollywood certain didn't, certainly didn't invent that idea, Two early Christians, Ananias and Sapphira, provide us with an example of self-image influencing interaction with God. Turn with me to Acts chapter 5. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 10. Acts 5, 1 through 10. Yes, I'm watching to see if you're turning. Acts 5, 1 through 10. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself, with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came over all who heard of it. The young men got up and covered him up, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now the scripture goes on to tell us that the same fate befell Sapphira. What was it about this couple's actions that drew the wrath of God? I believe we find the answer in Paul's words when he essentially tells Ananias, you know, you owned the land, and the money from the sale was yours to use as you pleased, why did you lie to God? They were free to give as much or as little of the money from the sale as they wished, but they lied to make their offering look more impressive. Though they were Christians they had ex who had accepted God's gift, they let their desire for praise and reputation come between them and their God. Who they thought they were was defined by how others saw them. They sought the praise of men at the price of their relationship with God. A comparable example can be found in, in 2 Timothy verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 15, when Paul writes, 
to Timothy, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. Now, why did all these people desert Paul? The next verse gives a hint, because Paul's in chains. That suggests that Phygelus and Hermogenes and the others broke their relationship with Paul because they were ashamed or afraid of being associated with him in his work. Like Ananias and Sapphira, they thought, they thought they were defined by how other people saw them, their image. However, where Ananias and Sapphira were seeking to build false grand reputation, Phygelus and Hermogenes and the others were seeking to avoid a potentially negative one as Paul's fellow workers. In an effort to avoid the scorn and anger of men, the two, the two had sacrificed their work for and their relationship with their God. Now, I have to admit, as I was preparing this lesson, I looked back over those examples, and my mind was drawn to Christ's par parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13, verses 3 through 9. He tells, Jesus tells of the sower who sows seed in four different types of soil and the results that he gets. And the apostles are confused by this, this parable, and he asks him for clarification. So he gives it. He gives it in, in Matthew chapter 13, verses 18 through 22. Now, I want you to listen to me read this scripture, and as I'm reading it, I want you to think of the first three unproductive types of soil and evaluate what you have heard about the examples I've given you in relation to these unproductive soils. Matthew 13, 18 through 22. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed has sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. What about that fourth soil? The one that was good and productive. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil. This is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some, and some thirty. The Bible also provides us with examples of people who recognized Christ and embraced his gift because of who they thought they were, because of it, not in spite of it. One of my favorites is found in Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 10. This is the story of the centurion in Capernaum. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, came to him imploring him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. That soldier knew exactly who he was. He was a commander with authority. I say to this one, go, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. What made this centurion so special 
was that he applied his experience and his sense of who he was in the use of power and the exercise of command in a positive way in pursuing his relationship with Christ. I am not, he acknowledged who he was relative to Christ. I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. He also acknowledged who held the power. Say the word, and my servant will be healed. The scripture tells us that Christ marveled at this man's faith. Now I want you to stop and think about that for a moment. This centurion impressed the Son of God. Oh, that we might have that same power to please our Lord. How we view ourselves has a direct influence on how we approach our lives and relationships, not the least of those, our relationship with our God. If we define who we are by what we do, what we possess, or how others see us, then we run the risk of being selfish in our outlook. Such selfishness can keep us from acknowledging the gift of salvation God offers us, just as the Pharisees did. It can keep us from accepting it, like the rich young ruler. It can separate us from our God even after we have accepted the gift, like Ananias and Sapphira, or Phygelus and Hermogenes. The secret of recognizing God's gift of salvation for love, for, love, uh, for the love it represents and accepting it with an open heart, can be seen in the example of the centurion. He not only knew who he was, but who he was in relationship with God. As Christians, our response to the question, who do you think you are, must include a humble acknowledgement of our God. In considering the gift purchased in blood by Christ on the cross, we must look beyond who do you think you are and ask ourselves, whose do you think you are? Paul reminds us how important it is to remember and acknowledge our God and how much we need the gift he has offered us. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 3 through 9, we read, Let the re Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order, order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Now the act of baptism is the first best demonstration of the understanding that we absolutely need the gift of our God the grace and the mercy he offers us, purchased through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and freely offered to all. If you've not answered that invitation to put on Christ in baptism, then it's time for you to ask yourself, who do I think I am? And does that keep me from the treasure Christ offered the rich young ruler? I appeal to you not to go away sad as that, rich, as that young man did, but to come forward and accept God's perfect gift by confessing Christ as God's Son and your Savior and being baptized for the forgiveness of your sin. If you're a Christian, it's always a good time to examine who you are and, more importantly, whose you are. If you have, do if you have done that and found something lacking in your relationship with God, we invite you to come forward and let us support you in making that relationship better, more whole, more complete, more satisfying. Whatever your need may be, won't you come as we stand and sing?